If you have your Bible this morning, we're turning to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles. And as you find first and second Kings, and you'll come across in the first Chronicles. First Chronicles, please, in chapter twelve. First Chronicles chapter twelve. And whenever you find the place, just let us bow for a brief moment in prayer, please. And you ask the Lord to speak to your heart this morning. Father, we just bow before thee again as we come to your word. And we pray, Lord, that thou indeed would speak to all of our hearts. And Father, I need your help this morning. I confess my inability. Confess, Lord, that we're weak and base and we're not. And we cry, Lord, that thou indeed would fill us with that fresh filling of the Spirit of God. We pray for that oil from heaven, Lord, to rest upon us in Jesus' name. We pray for that liberty in the Spirit. We pray that your word will go forth with weight and with power. We ask it in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. In this 12th chapter of 1 Chronicles, the people of God probably are in one of the most predicament times in their history. One of the greatest crises is in the history of the nation now faces the people of God. King Saul is dead, and his three sons that were slain on Mount Gilboa, and the children of Israel are scattered across the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Strife, contention, and division through all the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. They were at a low ebb. They were in a low day in their history. It was a crisis hour for the nation. The king was dead. The people were scattered. There was no leadership. You know, it was in this very day that God raised up men. And you know, dear men and women, this morning, I'm encouraged that even in the dark days and the crises are, God always has his men and women. And I wonder this morning, would you want to be God's crises are, man or woman? Would you want to be a man or woman that God will use in this crisis hour, in this day in which we live, in the 32nd verse of this chapter, that's what I want to bring you to this morning, it says the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. In this crisis hour, in this day when the children of Israel were marked by division and contention and they were scattered, God raised up men who knew what to do. God raised up men who knew the leading and the prompting of the Spirit of God. It says that the children of Israel, which were men of understanding of the times. Now I want you to see a few things this morning as we go on. There's a description of these men. It says that they're described as the children of Issachar. Now, Issachar was the son of Leah. You'll remember that Leah was the unloved and unwanted wife of Jacob. And Leah, who had to uh, pay and bribe her husband for affection, and so came about this young man, Issachar. I'm sure he bore the reproach of that throughout his life. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel as if you're unwanted. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you feel as if you're unloved. Well, I'm sure that he could have said like the psalmist in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Ezekiel, that name, it means to bring great profit. And I tell you, dear friends, this morning, if you take time and study the children of Ezekiel, they'll bring profit to your soul. And we need in these days to be men and women that will study the Word of God. We need to be men and women in these crises are to open the book and to know what God is saying to us. These men, first of all, were men that were marked by burdens. Burdens. I wonder, are you burdened this morning? I wonder, have you come to this meeting this morning with a burden on your soul? Weighing heavy upon your heart. Whenever Jacob was blessing the twelve tribes, he said that Issachar is as a strong ass crouched down between two burdens. He bowed his shoulders to bear. I wonder what burden you're bearing this morning. And if you're in this meeting and you're not saved, let me tell you the greatest burden that you'll be bearing will be the burden of sin. The psalmist said that mine iniquity went over my head and the burden is too heavy to bear. The burden of guilt and shame. The burden of iniquity that religion can't take away. The burden of sin and of guilt and the past that works and money and being a good man or woman can never take away. But thank God the poet had it right whenever the pen burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. What a burden. The burden of sin. In the Matthew 11, when the Lord Jesus gave that, gave that great gospel invitation, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you're not saved here this morning, let me tell you, the devil will lay a burden on your shoulder that you can't bear. But the Lord Jesus Christ this morning is willing to lift that burden. Then, of course, there's the burden of sickness. Some people here this morning, and you know all about that burden. You know all about the burden of the the frame and the health. One day you're doing well, another day you're not well. And it becomes a burden. Then there's the burdens of the situations in the home. Maybe your children are a burden to you. Maybe there's people in your family and they're a burden to you. And there's the burdens of service. For Moses, the man of God, he said, How can I bear the people alone? And these children of Issachar were men that were marked by burdens. They bowed their shoulders and were crouched down. The psalmist David knew everything about burdens. There was a day in his life whenever he went up, up the Mount of Olives, it says that his feet was bare, he had ashes on his head, and he wept as he went. He knew all about burdens. In Psalm 55, he said, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. And thank God, while the burdens may be upon us, thank God as the children of God, we can rest upon him. The rock of ages, the unmovable rock, the unbreakable rock, the unchangeable rock. While, as I said, our burdens can weigh heavy upon our shoulders, thank God we can rest on him. 
In Isaiah 46, the Lord himself could say, I have made you. I will carry you. I will bear you. So there were men that were marked by burdens. But there were also men that were marked by battles. Because way back in chapter 7 of this first book of Chronicles, it tells us that they were valiant men of might. Whenever God was erecting the army of Israel in Numbers chapter 10, he put the children of Issachar on the very front row beside the children of Judah. These were men and women on the front line of the battle. And I tell you, dear friends, this morning, what God is looking for is men and women that will get into the front line of the battle. Men and women that will not hold back, but men and women that will stand and go against the enemy. That's what the children of Issachar were like. In Judges chapter 5, it was the children of Issachar that went with Deborah and Barak against the Canaanites. Whenever the old ungodly captain Sisera stood up to defy and destroy the children of Israel, it was the children of Issachar that rose to the need. There were God's men in the crises are. There were men that stood on the front line of the battle. They didn't hold back. They didn't say, I'll let someone else do it, like maybe some here this morning. No, these men, they got into the battle. They got into the fight. It was from the tribe of Issachar that one, tri- one judge by the name of Tola came from. Two, ba- two verses in the Bible are given to him. For 23 years he stood alone and defended the children of Israel. These were men that were marked by battles. Cast right of verse 38. It says all these were men of war that could keep rank. The children of Issachar were men and women that were dependable in the day of battle. They were steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I'm sure every one of us here this morning knew all about our battles. Sometimes in the home we can have the battle. Sometime in the workplace there's the battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. And let me tell you, dear men and women, this morning, and I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but let me tell you that 2022, there's coming a battle. There's coming a battle. 2021 was only gearing us up for what's coming. The crisis hour is on and God is looking for men and women that will stand in the battle and get right into the front line and face the enemy, not to run, not to car, not to hide, but to stand, to keep your rank, not to move. In Psalm 18, the psalmist David, he said, He concerning the Lord, he girdeth me with strength unto the battle. And no matter what battles you face, whether it's with cancer, whether it's with sickness, whether it's with the devil, let me tell you, he, the great captain of our salvation, Emmanuel, the man of war, he's the one that's able to gird us with strength onto the battle. Are you in the battle this morning? The battle in your mind. Whenever the enemy comes and accuses you of things that you've done, you hear the accuser roar and the battle's on. Thank God he girdeth us with strength onto the battle. During the South African War, way back in the days of Queen Victoria, the British forces were suffering severe setbacks. 
In one minister of state, he went to visit Queen Victoria, and he poured out his sad complaint before him, or before her. And that little small woman, it says that she stood to her feet, and she looked the minister in the eye, and she said, Sir, we are not interested in the possibilities of defeat. We are only interested in victory. I tell you, dear friends, this morning that God can give you victory in the battle. You say to me, Stephen, have you got a verse in the Bible for that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory. Victory over the world. Victory over sin. Victory over the devil. There's a day when he's going to give us victory over death. Victory. And these men were men that were marked by burdens and battles. And they were marked by blunders. And every single one of us here this morning, we know all about our blunders. Every single one of us here this morning, we know about our inconsistencies. We know about our shortcomings. And while we can see the faults and the flaws in others, there's plenty of faults and flaws in us all. And thank God, blunders and all, God used the children of Issachar. They were God's men and the crises are. But not only is there the description here, I want you to see in verse 32 again, there's a discernment here. Because it says the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. It was J.C. Ryle, that great preacher of a bygone day, he said it is important to know the times in which we live. Next to our Bibles and next to our own hearts, God would have us study our times. Joseph Parker, the contemporary of Spurgeon, he said the man that knows everything but his times will do little or nothing for God. I wonder, do you know the times in which you live? These children of Issachar, they knew they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That word understanding there is the word discernment. And I can tell you, dear friends, this morning as we go out into 2022 to face the enemy like never before, we'll need discernment. We'll need to know what God is telling us to do. We'll need direction from heaven. And I wonder this morning, are we in the place where God can give us discernment to know what the leading of the Spirit of God is in our life, not to just move on a whim, not just to do something on a good idea, but these men had discernment. You remember Hosea. Hosea was God's prophet for Israel, zero hour. And Hosea, the man of God, he said, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. The word is discernment. I wonder, do you need discernment? I wonder, have you decisions to make in the days ahead and you need discernment from God? You'll need discernment in who you're going to marry. You'll need discernment in the house that you'll buy and even in the assembly that you join. God, give me discernment. But not only is that word understanding discernment, it's the word wisdom. Now, I'm sure if I was to go around this assembly this morning, every single one of us, we would confess that we need wisdom. The things that we have said and the advice that we've gave, so often we lack wisdom. James said in his little epistle, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. He talks about the wisdom it is from above. It is first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be. And treated. These men knew what to do. I wonder do we know what to do. You see these men were not historians. These men were not living in the past. 
Do you know, dear friends, thank God for the revivals of the past. Thank God for 1904. Thank God for 1859 and whenever God moved among Moravians. Thank God for what he did in the past. But the children of Issachar weren't historians. They weren't even prophets. They weren't concerned so much what God was going to do in the years ahead. They were God's men for now. And a lot of God's people are concerned about the past. And so many are taken up with the future. What's heaven going to be like? Well, we know one another. But I want to tell you, dear friends, the time has come for God to have men and women of this generation. Because David served his generation well. They were men that knew what to do. I'm sure many of us here this morning would have to cry at times and decisions. And whenever we get into the corner like those in the days of Jehoshaphat, Lord, never know we what to do. Lord, we don't know what to do. Well, I want to tell you, dear friends, the children of Issachar knew what to do. They were God's men and the crises are. It was a perilous day. There were dangerous days in which they lived. But there's not only the description of these men. And there's not only the discernment of these men. Quickly, there's the duty that was upon these men. Cast right to verse 32 again. It says, the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel, mark these three words, ought to do. Ought to do. You see, there was a duty upon these men. And I tell you, dear friends, it's one thing for God to reveal to us what to do. It's another thing for us as the people of God to step up to the mark and do it. And many even maybe here this morning and listening over the internet or CD, God has told you what to do for many years, but as yet you haven't done it. And whenever Mary was down at the wedding of Cana, she looked at the Lord, she said to the servants, whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. Do it. Whatever God said to you last Sunday morning, sir, do it. Whatever God said to you, madam, last Sunday night, do it. These men knew what they ought to do. I'll tell you, dear friends, this morning, until God's people start doing what we ought to do, we'll not see blessing. So many of us are doing things that we don't even need to do. And so many of us are not doing the things that we should do. James says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. These men of Issachar knew what to do. And not only did they know it, but they did it. And I tell you, dear friends, this morning, until we get a baptism of obedience, until we get men and women that will lay all on the altar, and whenever you're there, it will not matter what God tells you to do. Whenever you're on the altar for God and your life is filled with the Spirit of God, it wouldn't matter if the Lord told you to go across the waters as a missionary. You'll do it to obey Him. These men knew what to do. The Bible talks about we ought to pray, we ought to forgive, we ought to love one another. Whenever the disciples stood before the the Pharisees, they said, we ought to obey God. We ought to obey God. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, obey God. Obey God. But that's not what I'm after this morning. 
I'm not here this morning to give you a little lecture on the children of Issachar. I'm not here this morning to give you a little bit of information that you can go home and think about during the week. What I want to talk about this morning as we come to a close is this. What would God have you and I to do? You see, it's all right pointing to the children of Israel. It's all right looking back at the life of David and the life of Moses and the mighty men and women of God in the Bible. But what would God have you and I to do in this crisis hour? For I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, 2022 is the greatest crisis that the world has ever seen. You and I need to be men and women that will know what to do in this crisis hour. What would God have you and I to do? I wonder, would that be the prayer of your heart this morning? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I need understanding of the times to know what you want me to do. And I want to give you a few things that God wants you and I to do. And I want you to listen this morning. First of all, God would have us to waken up. Waken up. Way back in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, the apostle says, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise, and Christ will give thee light. Awake. Waken up. Whenever you're sleeping, you're unconscious. Whenever you're sleeping, you're unaware of all that's going around. Whenever you're sleeping, you're unconcerned even of others that are around you or beside you. And Paul, he says, awake thou that sleepest and arise. I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, God's alarm clock has gone off. God's alarm clock. And this whole thing with COVID, God has been trying to get men and women's attention. Man, God is not only speaking to the world, but he's speaking to the church. To waken up. Romans chapter 13, it says, Knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52, he said, Awake, awake, put on thy strength. I tell you, dear friends, this morning it's time that we woke up. We woke up to the state of the church. If you and I had our eyes upon the things of God, let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ, that is called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, has lost its shine and has lost its savor. The church of Jesus Christ this morning in the West, marked by apathy and coldness and lukewarmness that has crept in in every division. Whenever you see the compromise and the carnality that is the trait of the day, Denominations that used to advance for God are hardly even existing today. Organizations that used to conquer the world for God. Missionary organizations dying out. Church denominations dying. Maybe only a handful in the meeting on a Sunday night. And you and I as the people of God, we need to awaken. We need to awaken. We need to awaken to the need of the hour. The spirit of Laodicea has crept in and maybe even this morning it has got hold of you that the church of Laodicea was rich and increased with goods and at need of nothing but didn't know that they were blind, wretched, miserable, poor and naked. And that apathy has crept in even to many of our hearts. There was a black preacher way over in the west of America. He said, Sir, it's not men to fill our churches that we need anymore. Don't bring me any men, more men to my church, he said. My need is not people to fill the church. My need is God to fill the people that are in the church. 
I tell you, if we can get a congregation of men and women here sold out to God, filled with the Spirit of God, we'll not only turn Ireland back to God, but we'll turn Britain back to God. That's what happened in the upper room. 120 men and women got real with God and the Holy Ghost came upon them and those tongues of fire rested upon them and they turned the world upside down in 30 years. God hasn't changed. God hasn't diminished in his power. God hasn't moved, can still move in the same way as he did before. Places that were born in the fires of victory this morning are languishing in the smoke of defeat. The presence of God is no longer tangible the way it used to be in many places this morning. The Spirit is no longer breathing and brooding over the over assemblies where men and women used to go in and they used to feel that God was there. The presence of God. And I've been in places, and I'm sure you have been, and other preachers have been in assemblies where you go in and you, there's no mark of the presence of God. How sad. How sad to come into an assembly or a church and God not to be there. The one who used to be in the midst is no longer. He's standing at the door. I wonder have we wakened up to that reality. I wonder have we woke up to the reality of the need of the hour in this crisis day. And like those in Deuteronomy 32 it says, He seeth that their power is gone. Gone. I was singing during the week the words of Francis G. And revive thy work, O Lord. Make bare thy mighty arm. Speak with the voice that wakes the dead. And make thy people hear. Revive thy work, O Lord. Disturb the sleep of death. Quicken the slumbering embers now by thine almighty breath. I tell you, dear friends, this morning the church in Jesus Christ in Northern Ireland We need to awaken to the need. We need to be honest and cry that God would come again and breathe upon us. That was what drove Edwin Hatch to pen that hymn that we often sing in the prayer meeting night. He had a good congregation. He was preaching well, but there was no breathing. There was no brooding of the Spirit of God. And Edwin Hatch, went home and he penned that hymn, broken on his heart, Breathe on me, breath of God. That I am wholly thine, that all this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. I tell you, dear friends, when we get there, that not only do we need to awaken to the, the state of the church, we need to awaken to the lateness of the hour. The night cometh whenever no man can work. James said that the coming of the Lord draweth neither signs all around us, the birth pangs have started. Whenever you see wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilence, diseases, these are only the beginning of sorrows. Their signs are all around us. Whenever you see China with their new currency and the world's going mad, digital currency, no cash, no checks, no cards. You tell me that's not coming. Whenever you see over in Sweden, there's maybe 20,000 people that have a chip in their hand now for a COVID passport. They can start the car. They can sign in at work. They can pay their bills just by the chip in the hand. You tell me that this is not a late hour. You tell me this is a day for dancing and singing and parties. Whenever the coming of the Lord, James could say, the judge standeth before the door. 
And whenever you're at the door, you're ready to go through the door. And that door of mercy and grace will be shut forever. Whenever you see the world in confusion, whenever you see Russia making its way, coming down through the Middle East into Syria, it's all signs before the sounds of the coming of the Lord. And we need to awaken. We need to arise. But not only do we need to awaken to the state of the church, and not only do we need to awaken to the litness of the hour, listen to this, we need to awaken to the lostness of souls. Men and women all around us this morning that are perishing. I wonder, can you hear the cry? Do you hear the cry of men and women that are perishing? Men and women without God. Men and women without hope. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he said, where there is no vision there, the people perish. I wonder, have we a vision this morning? I wonder, have we a burden for men and women? I wonder, have we a burden that will drive us to our knees in prayer, where we'll lay hold of the horns of the altar, where we see men and women not as statistics, but as individuals that have a soul that will never cease to exist? I tell you, friends, this morning, God put a a phrase in my heart during the week, and I'll tell you what it is. Many of us that are saved, indeed all of us that are saved, we may have Christ in our heart, but I wonder, have we got blood on our hands? To have Christ in our heart. But I wonder how we got blood on our hands. Men and women that we've never warned. Men and women that we've never wept over. Men and women that we've never witnessed to. To have blood upon our hands. It says the watchman if he seeth the enemy come. And he blow not the trumpet and warn the people. And the people be taken away in their iniquity. I will require their blood at the watchman's hands. Have you got blood on your hands? That person that you work with you've never told them. Those neighbors around you, you've never witnessed to them. Those family members, you've never sat them down with the open book. You've never lived a godly life before them. And their blood is upon our hands. Manslaughter by gross negligence. You know, the world's going mad. Britain, anyway, is going mad with Boris Johnson with his parties. Oh, we were in lockdown and he was being reckless there having a party. Let me tell you, friends, this morning, you and I were under greater condemnation to know that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only message that can save souls, and we don't tell anybody about it. To think of souls that are perishing and will not warn them or not witness to them. I say again, it's manslaughter by gross negligence. Hell is filled this morning. Hell is filled at this very moment of souls that lived in this province of Ulster, never heard the message of the gospel, never seen it really lived out in shoe leather. The blood of souls is upon our hands. To think of the reality of men and women and to be awakened to that need. Whenever I was doing the mission in Desert Martin, there was a man told me way back 50 years ago, there was four men went to a gospel meeting. And there were only teenagers and they were driving home And one of the young boys in the back of the car, he says, stop the car. Stop the car. And he got out of the car and he got down on his knees with tears running out of his eyes. He says, oh God, save me. And all four young men at the side of the road on Desert Martin Street cried unto God and they got saved. You know why that was? They were awakened to their need. And many of us here this morning, we've been slumbered to sleep. And I know we have bad days and all the rest, but what do you think about a soul in hell, in the fire, 
While we'll be in heaven, they'll be weeping. While we'll be in heaven, they'll be languishing. And while we'll be in heaven, they'll be crying. While we'll be in heaven, their teeth will be gnashing. They never told me. They never wept over me. They never invited me to that mission. They never gave me that gospel track. I wish they had come to my door. I wish they had pleaded with my soul. And now I'm lost. Lost. I tell you, friends, we need to waken up. The disciples slept in the garden in the most crucial hour of, the, of Christ's life. And many of us here this morning are sleeping in the most crucial hour in the world's history. And to be honest, we're, most of us are more interested in our money. We're more interested in what sort of a day we have with the family. We're more interested in our ambitions and in our farm than we are in souls. In the souls of men and women, you know, a mole over in England, a mole, if you get a mole, a mole has its eyes closed all of its life. But if you catch a mole and you kill it, the first thing that will happen whenever it dies, its eyes open. And you and I, whenever we die and get in through the pearly gates, our eyes will be open. It'll be too late. Sir, let me tell you, it'll be too late to pray for your boy then. It'll be too late to cry, mother, for your son or daughter then. And your eyes will be open. And they're out in eternity. Here's a few things for you to listen to. In Britain, suicide went up 81% in two years. Almost one a day in Northern Ireland. Suicide is the highest rate of death for young men and women. Self-harm has went up to one in five. One in five young people from 9 to 16 are involved in self-harming, and over 50% of that is young women. Just nine years of age in a room cutting themselves with a knife. God help us. 30% of young men and women in Britain under, th- under 18 have to take sleeping tablets to get to sleep at night. Ten people a day die of an overdose in Britain. A poll done recently in the Church of England said that the people in the counties of England, there was more people believed in ghosts than they did in God. 7,500 people die in the world every, every day. 120 people die every minute. Two people die every second. Out into eternity. Every second. Every second we're sleeping, every second we're working, every second we're eating, every second that we're enjoying ourselves, all the moments of the day, souls going over the precipice into eternity. Almost two billion people in the world have never even heard of the name Jesus, never mind heard the gospel. A recent survey done by Open Doors said that there was more people in the Amazon basin heard about Coca-Cola than they did about Jesus Christ. And we'll argue about our theology. And we'll get into our lovely buildings and we'll pray, Lord, revive us and the world going to hell. Lord, bless me. Give me a good day, Lord. Just encourage me. Men and women going over the precipice into a lost eternity. Is it any but wonder? Fanny Crosby penned that him rescue the perishing care for the dying. Snatched them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus the mighty to see if I'm glad somebody told me about him. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. 
Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer, saviors died. How many people have you led to the Lord? Some of you people here see it 40, 50 years and you've never led a soul to Christ. Whenever the revival was on over in North Korea, before it became North Korea, one of the, one of the, one of the requirements for becoming a member of the church in Korea was you had to lead at least one soul to Christ every year. How do you weigh up to that this morning? How do we weigh up with that with all of our suits and ties? Whenever men are perishing, men are going out into hell. Tell me, have you wept during the week? Was there water come out of your eyes during the week or did you spend it watching soaps? Did you get alone before God and say, Lord, save my boy. Save my neighbor, Lord. Do you hear the drip, drip, drip of blood-stained hands this morning? D.L. Moody, that mighty evangelist over in America, had 2,000 young people in the Sunday school. 2,000 young children in the Sunday school. And D.L. Moody, he got a pew and he filled it with souls every week. And one time he was doing the doors and there was a wee girl and he says, will you come to my Sunday school? And she says, I'll come. She never came and D.L. Moody stood at the door of a Sunday school and watched 2,000 young people come in, but he knew that young girl wasn't there. A week or two later, he was out in one of the coaches through Chicago and he seen the young girl standing in the street and he jumped off the coach and he ran down the street and she saw him coming and she began to run away from him and he ran down after her. She went down one alley, he went down after her. Went down another alley, he went down, went up a flight of stairs, into a room, shut the door and got under the bed, under the bed and D.L. Moody up the stairs and got under the bed and pulled her out. And he says, whenever I pulled that young girl out from under that bed, I pulled seven souls out of hell. Her father was one of the great liquor men in Chicago and they were all born again by the Spirit of God. There was a man with a vision for souls. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, just like the children of Issachar, it's not enough just to know the times. You and I have a responsibility to do something about it. It was John Knox who used to put his head between his knees with the tears coming out of his eyes. He said, oh God, give me Scotland or I'll die. It was John Knox that turned Scotland from Rome back to God. He had the spirit of the children of Issachar. Are you asleep this morning? Are you asleep? Are you just rocking yourself to sleep, singing alibis and lovely choruses? And souls are perishing. But not only do we need to waken up, the Lord Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, whenever he went into the synagogue, he pointed to a man and he said, Sir, rise up and stand forth. To rise up, and stand forth. You know what that is? That's suggestive to me of getting into the center of the will of God. To being in that place where God wants you to be. And I say to you, dear friends, this morning, the most precious, I say again, the most precious thing to know is that you can be in the center of the will of God. That will that is good and acceptable and perfect. To be in the place where God wants you to be. Not there to please men. You'll remember Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Joseph was a carpenter. William Carey that went to India was a cobbler. 
David was a shepherd boy. Moses was a stutter. Amos was a herdsman from the hills of Tekoa. Ehud was handicapped. And all those men were available for God. God put his hand upon them and done mighty works for them and through them. They were available for God to use. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Present your bodies therefore a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of their minds that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you in the center of the will of God? Are you 100% sure about that? Can you get up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, I know what I'm going to use my energy on today. I'm going to be in the center of the will of God while I do it. We need a baptism of men and women that will not only preach the gospel, but that live it. William Booth. William Booth, that man that started the Salvation Army. He was kicked out by the the Methodist Church. And he went to the slums in London. And got a burden for men and women. He went into 90 countries in 30 years. Seen thousands of souls saved. There was one young corporal who wrote him a letter. He wanted to go farther and deeper into the things of God. He not only wanted to give him his prayers and the Lord his money, but he wanted to give the Lord his full body, full control of his life. And this is what William Booth wrote back. He said, you must go. You cannot hold back. You cannot hold back any longer. You've enjoyed yourself long enough. But you must go. Go to a dying world. Your happiness will consist of sharing their misery. Your ease and sharing their pain. Your cross. Your, 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 your crown and, and bearing their cross. Your heaven will consist in going to the very jaws of hell in order to save them from hell itself. William Booth said you must go. At the end of that letter, he just wrote those words, What will ye do? What will you do? Go to the dying world. Go to that neighbor that you've never told. Go to that loved one that you've never witnessed to. Go. Get the blood off your hands. You know, I often preach in this pulpit about secret societies. And if you're in it, you need to get out of it. But I'll tell you something worse than secret societies. As secret Christians. To have the message of the gospel and have the pearl of greatest price. And be more interested in cattle and money and entertainment. Than telling men and women about the gospel. Do you hear the drip? Drip, drip. Of blood on our hands. But there's not only do we need to waken up and rise up. Hosea, the man of God, he said in Hosea chapter 10, he said, the time has come to break up your fallow ground. Do you know what fallow ground is? Whenever you go into the field of barley and you'll see way over in the corner and there's a a piece of ground and it's, it's uncared for. Briars and brambles and boulders. Maybe you go into a bit of a garden and there's a bit of waste ground there. There's no use in it. Go, it's lying waste. And Hosea, the man of God, he says, Sir, it's time to break up your fallow ground. Those areas areas in our life that are unbroken. And God will never use us until we're broken. You don't hear much about brokenness today. God only uses things that are broken. It was the broken pictures in Gideon's day that brought the light. 
It was the broken alabaster box that brought the fragrance. It was the broken fish and bread that fed the multitudes, and it's a broken life that has the power of God resting upon it. Broken. Break me. Melt me. Mold me. Make me. Was the cry of the poet. To break up the fallow ground. The sacrifice to God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart thou wilt not despise. To break it up. To break up all of our ambitions. To break up all of our goals. To break up all of our desires. And as we said last Sunday morning, get on the altar from the crown of your head to the sole of your foot and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Break me up, Lord. But fallow ground is not only on broken ground, it's on clean ground. Ground that is covered by unclean things. Weeds and briars and brambles. And it needs to be cleaned. Whenever a farmer goes into the field and he's looking to get a bit of ground, he'll clean the ground. And dear friend of God, child of God, this morning it's time to clean the ground. Judgment begins at the house of God. We mentioned last week, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. We'll need to lift out the boulders of secret sin, the boulders of pornography, the boulders of pride, the boulders of envy and self-importance. Look at me. Look how great I am. Look what I can do. Look how well I can preach. Look how well I can sing. To remove the boulders. Isaiah 62 and 10, it says, gather out the stones. You remember whenever Alan stood in this pulpit? Last year, he talked about the stones blocking the pipe and the blessing of seeking to get through, but there's stones in the pipe. Well, Isaiah said it's time to gather out the stones. Gather it all out, all the sectarianism and all of the jealousy and move it all out and say, Lord, make me a channel of blessing. I tell you, dear friends, you may be saying to me this morning, Stephen, you're being a bit radical this morning. Friend, let me tell you this. This is scripture. God demands nothing less. Whenever you see that he sent his only son for you and I, mere mortals, mere worms of the dust, when I think as God, a son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. But on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin, then sings my soul. Let us be men and women that will give him our all. It's not only on broken ground, it's not only on clean ground, Fallow ground is unfruitful ground. Unfruitful. I wonder, is there areas of your life that's not fruitful? Whenever you look at your life and say, Lord, my life seems to be marked by barrenness and apathy and coldness. And no matter how hard you try, there doesn't seem to be much fruit there. The fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness and faith. Fallow ground is barren ground. You know, as we look out this morning over the evangelical church in Ulster, it's barren, barren, barren. Thank God, God promised, he says, that I'll make you like a watered garden, bearing fruit. Hosea not only said it's time to break up your fallow ground, he said it's time to seek the Lord until he come. Ye shall seek me and ye shall find me when ye search for me with all of your heart. 
And in this crisis hour when souls are perishing and men are dying and they're going over the chasms and the hell with the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, I tell you it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek God for these 32 counties in a way that we've never done before. It's time to get serious and knuckle down in the place of prayer where you set aside a time every day to lay hold of God and really press the battle through to really move in for God, to break up the fallow ground, unclean, unbroken, unfruitful, and say, Lord, I want to be a man that's broken. I want to be a man that's clean, and I want to be a man that's fruitful. And herein is your Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. I haven't got time this morning. Time's beating me a bit. Not only in this crisis are, are we to waken up and rise up and break up, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, grow up, grow up. So many babies in the church today. So many men and women today still on the bottle. So many men and women that are not on the meat, but they're on the milk. And Paul said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow, grow thereby. It's time some of you dear friends here this morning, you began to grow. There's no growth. Growth means to expand. Some of you farmers, if you had a calf that didn't grow, you would go to the vet. Some of you gardeners at home, and if you planted a rose and it didn't grow, you would go to some specialist. Whenever a parent is a child and it doesn't grow, they'll go to the doctor. But whenever shepherds look down on an assembly of God's people and they say there's a man and there's no growth for 20, 30 years, what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We go to God. Go to God. Grow up. Grow up in the place of prayer. Grow up in the things of God. The Lord Jesus in John 16, he said, I have many things to tell you, but you're not able to bear them now. And there's some of you here this morning, God wants to use you in a way that he can't use me or any other man or woman. God has something for you to do. And he says, I have many things to tell you, but I cannot tell you now because you're not able to bear it. Not mature in the things of God. Not spiritually grown. No appetite for the things of God. How sad. Do you need awaken up? Do I need awaken up? Not only to waken up and not only to rise up and get into the center of the will of God. We need to break up and then we need to grow up. But lastly, and with us a close, the Lord Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, he says, Look up, look up, for thy Redeemer draweth nigh. And I'm glad this morning that I don't have to end on a bad note. I'm glad this morning I don't have to close this meeting and tell you to go home on an old message of defeat, but I'm glad every child of God, look up, look up, for thy redemption draweth nigh. This old world's not our home, you know. There's coming a day when there'll be no more sickness, no more cancer, no more death, no more sorrow, no more separation, no more devil himself to be in the land of the no more. Oh, what a delight in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You know, whenever I worked up the road in Sandvik, they used the old gantries there for, for lifting machinery. 
And I remember there's another fellow, we used to put a, a ratchet strap around the gantry, and I used to hold on, he used to hit the button, he used to... But you know, I had to come down again. But I'm glad there's coming a moment, it may even be the day, when the Lord's going to take this old body of mine up, and I'll not be coming down again. Into the presence of the Lord, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and the dead in Christ shall rise. First that husband that's dead, he'll be there, you'll see him. That mother, that son, that daughter, they'll be there. Look up. For thy redemption draweth nigh. Let us not only be working, and let us not only be waiting, but let us be watching. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And John, in his epistle, says, Don't be ashamed at his coming. Now, sir, if the Lord came this morning just after 12 o'clock on this Sunday morning and if I found you in that spiritual condition that you're in now with coldness, no hunger for the word, maybe limped through the week without a prayer, no passion for souls, asleep, let me tell you, you'll be ashamed that it's coming. You'll be ashamed. You'll be ashamed if you spend more time on the internet than you are in the word of God. You'll be ashamed if you're slandering or gossiping or living in sin. You'll be ashamed that it's coming. And let us be men and women that will wake up. Let us be men and women that will rise up and grow up and break up. And then, thank God, we can look up. I wonder, is there any children of Issachar here this morning? Are you a child of Issachar? Have you got understanding of the times? Have I? To know what Israel ought to do. Because whenever the children of Issachar did it on down at the end of this chapter, it says there was great rejoicing in Israel. Let us be men and women that are radical for God. And there's a prayer I pray every day. And our brother Bertie mentioned it one night in a prayer meeting. He, he prayed, Lord, keep me away from carnality. I don't want to be carnal, friend. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to get to heaven with blood in my hands. I don't want to get to heaven with souls while I'm there. Souls are in hell because I never warned them. Let us go out and out for God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just bow in your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your word to your heart. We pray, Lord, that in these days that you'll make us men and women that are radical. Make us men and women that are on fire for God. May, Lord, we untangle ourselves with all of the things that we're tangled up in, things that are holding us back, things, Lord, that are smothering the fire, things, Lord, that hinder us from really doing business and stepping out for God. Oh, Father, whatever you've said to us this morning, may we, like the children of Issachar, not only know it, but may we do it. The children of Issachar, understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. And Lord, there's mothers and fathers in this meeting and they know what they ought to do. Children, unsaved people here and they know what they ought to do. We pray that you'll give them grace this morning to step out and obey God. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.